Hey, everybody, and welcome to Product Happy Hour, where you can go to happy hour with your favorite product people in your sweatpants. We are product folks here to share what we've learned often the hard way over great drinks. Why happy hour? Why not? It's the best way to get the inside scoop from grizzled vets with the scars to prove it. Thanks for giving us a listen. The best ways you can help us keep this party going is to head to our website and subscribe at www.producthappyhour.com. And please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. It's either $5 a month or $30 a year. That's literally one Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year to keep this sucker going. Finally, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for easy listening anywhere anytime. We have another great interview for y'all this week. Our interviews are created as a way to ask experts in our product community questions designed to help you take your product game and career to the next level. Our guest today is my first boss as a product manager, Lisa Roberts. I learned so much from Lisa early on in my career, and I'm so excited to have her on the show to share her unique insights with all of you. To start us off, Here is Lisa's bio. Lisa Roberts is Chief Marketing and Product Officer at FloorFound, an end-to-end e-commerce platform and marketplace for oversized retail items. Lisa has almost 25 years of experience working in product and marketing with some of the best in tech. She started her career at Garden.com, one of the biggest properties from the dot-com bubble in 1998. From there, she joined the product team at Dell, where she uh, where she more officially learned product management. Her words, not mine. After Dell, she found herself at Enfusion as an interactive product manager before joining the Austin rocket ship Bizarre Voice as an early employee, eventually director of marketing. Post Bizarre Voice, Lisa embarked on a journey into consulting before landing at Starmount, which is where she hired me as an associate product manager, my first ever paid PM gig. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about that one. Post Starmount was a tour of some of the hottest startups in Austin, including VP of Marketing at AdLucent, VP of Marketing at Edgecase.io, VP of Marketing at Civitas, and Chief Marketing Officer at Yonder before joining us back again, at least 50% of the time in product land at FloorFound, where she runs FloorFound's product and marketing teams. And if that's not enough, she founded Great Catch Consulting to consult with startups and is a board member at the Andy Roddick Foundation. Hey, Lisa, welcome to Product Happy Hour. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you again. It's been a, it's been a bit, <laughs> but we're here. We did it. I know. I know. Yeah. We have all these distractions in our lives. Kids we do a lot of a lot of other responsibilities. When we met, I was just like, I just did whatever I wanted. <laughs> oh, you were like a J. It's a different different version. J one point I don't. I think we're on like two point right. seven now. I don't know what we're on now. But loose a J. Yeah, it's different different <laughs> days. Different days. Okay, all right. We're at happy hour. Yeah. So. What's that drink? What drink you got there? It's not um, super exciting. I need like a okay. pet me up, and my pet me up is always tequila. So it's a it's a it's it's a tequila soda wine. It's Lalo, which is Lalo. you know, yeah. Have you had Lalo? I have not. Is it that's the type of tequila? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, it's the brand. It's it's um, they're based here in Austin, made in Jalisco. Jalisco. Apparently, from Mexico for Mexicans. I'm not Mexican, but I still enjoy it. Um, I only I use Rambler. Rambler sparkling water is the only sparkling water that I use for some of our <laughs> best friends. So that's my advertisement. But I oh, do yeah. I do grapefruit, yeah, grapefruit Rambler and Lalo and lime. Very nice. That sounds excellent. Well, cool. We got our drinks and we got some topics. Um, and uh, they're pretty PM heavy. You're in charge of marketing and product right now, but we're a product podcast. Everybody uh, is pretty interested in the product stuff, but there are a lot of folks listening that are interested in marketing too, or are doing marketing roles right now, trying to figure out the difference between the two and, and how to get involved on both sides. So I think we'll start with like just product skills and getting started in product management. How did you get into product management? That's a funny question. (laughs) I I definitely um, meandered my way into product management. Um, I was at a company here in Austin called garden.com. It was one of the first at one of the first e-com pure plates period, definitely one of the, the earliest ones here in Austin. Um, I joined the team. We had site management teams then. That's when sites were built a lot in like HTML. Um, and when you were updating the site, yeah, it was crazy. Like no CMSs, no e-commerce platforms, like, you know, nothing crazy like that. Um and was on the site management team. The part that I owned was making sure they had you know, a skyscraper ad and you had a <laughs> banner ad, whatever. And so as I managed the software, managed making sure the ads were getting on the site, they were serving, they were matching what we promised, you know, as the media person in house. But I was also part of the team and helped with a lot of other things. And we were getting to where we really understood how the site should look to sell the most, but we'd have to like, people would like have to be up at the office at night, flipping the content. (laughs) Yeah. I'm 85. I'm, I'm really 85. No, 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 no. Well, people forget how much of this stuff was like manual, especially early. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and we were a gardening company and like, People from zone one can't, shouldn't even be shown stuff from zone eight. You're basically like wasting site space and marketing and promotion and merchandising by doing that. Zone eight, um, like the gardening zones, like country yeah, zones, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so the, the ad serving technology was advancing really quickly and we started getting this like geo-targeting capabilities with ads and we could, you know, make people pay us more money for geo-targeted ads and things like that. And one day I was like, well, what if we took a couple spots on the site and we put basically the tech, the ad tech in the page and started geo-targeting zone-based content to our shoppers using this ad technology. And we would schedule in the content as if it was an ad, but it was just a piece of content. I mean, basically I was like trying to figure out how to use an ad serving technology as a CMS with like personalization capabilities. So that's the language we would use for all of it today. There was none of that language for any of that at that time. And so this company came to us. So this it was, it's called Art Technology Group. 
ATG. They were bought out, um, I don't know what year, maybe like 2005, something like that by Oracle. So they are now Oracle's um, e-commerce platform. And so ATG came to us and said, you guys are doing a bunch of really cool shit. Um, we want you and Target to be alphas for their first Java Bay, J2E based um, e-commerce platform. And one of the core components of it was a personalization engine. And so they basically wanted to create what we had been doing, but productize it. Mm-hmm. Um and so I knew all these requirements um, and had been doing all this stuff and just and testing and trying and experimenting and whatnot with a bunch of technology that was never meant to do all these things. But I knew the why, I knew the performance, I knew what was working, I knew what wasn't, um, I knew the workflows. And so the garden team was like, hey, we could either go hire a product manager and they're going to have to sit down with you for hours and hours and hours and figure all this stuff out. Or you, this person that knows how to get things to done. We could also just take all those requirements out of your head and make you a product manager and have you be a part of this team that basically is really cool. Well, the really cool part was they handed me a book on how to write requirements. I think it was literally called freaking how to write requirements. <laughs> And then change my title to personalization product manager. Um, And, but the ATG team started flying us there. They were based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. So they started flying us up to their office and we basically would just go talk with them about what we do, how we do it, and then have good conversations. And we'd come back and document a bunch for them. And I'm sure they would make my requirements look a lot better Mm -hmm. Um, because I was figuring it out with my book. Um, but you know, that was, that was how I ended up in it. And, you know, unfortunately garden went under with a bubble with a lot of other great first we IPO would long pause, um, (laughs) for how sad all that was, but it was really fun. Um, we IPO would and then, and then went under and when it was all over, I was like, man, I really love being a product manager. Like, how do I go learn how to do this? And was probably in the place of a lot of your listeners and like, how, how do I really go do this? And then I looked for grad schools, um, you know, looked for a product management program or training program or even like an entrepreneurial kind of track, which now, you know, those are a dime a dozen these days, but there was nothing. So I went and worked at Dell um, and Dell had product management training on product management training. And so I went there for two years and learned a really good process, learned, you know, the art of asking questions and how to write a really good requirement, um, how to think ahead, how to understand a roadmap and build it. Anyway, all these wonderful things that, that were great to learn. Yeah. Uh, those are great. Those are great things to learn. That's how it's done. That's uh, such a wild story. Yeah. Um, Sufficiently freaked some people out at Dell. (laughs) Yeah. I think my my best Dell story was there was a feature we'd been, they'd been trying to get built for like a year and a half and no one had been able to figure it out. And they said, we'll give it to Lisa. And so I started trying to figure it out and I figured out the one thing that wasn't getting done was one change to one DB needed to be made in a system that was tangential to the system that this feature would come to life within. 
And no one had gone through the steps to go figure out who that person is, track them down, get to know them, make them laugh, <laughs> yeah, become their friend. And by golly, I got that change made in that database and finally got that feature live. It basically was like a, a upsell capability. You put something in your cart because you like this thing. You might also like these other things. Um, capability. Yeah. And finally got it done, but it just meant like, you know, coloring outside the lines a little bit, Mm -hmm. walking over to another building, taking initiative to track someone down, letting them know what I needed, asking for what I wanted, um, and got it done. But yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. So you never know how you can end up in product management. Yeah. the, The origin stories are great. And I'm now I'm going to ask everybody what their origin story is. Uh, it's good. It's good. You, sh- you shaped the podcast. I hope you feel really good about that. <laughs> All right. So uh, you and I met, you plucked me out of a group of candidates uh, for an associate product manager role. Um, you gave me my first start in product management. And so little baby AJ. <laughs> little baby AJ, that's right. So uh little baby and, and, product manager AJ. <laughs> I gotta Photoshop myself into like a little baby, <laughs> baby onesie. Hey everybody. Um and uh you know, at that time I had very limited product management experience. I'd done a startup and it didn't go very well, and and then I was here in your office after like five months of being rejected in interviews and and, and it finally happened. So I, I was curious, what kind of things do you look for in those entry-level product manager roles? I mean, a lot of people listening are probably trying to get things like that. So yeah, yeah I'm curious, what do you, what do you look for uh, in Canada? Yeah, right yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, any of us that made it into this role, especially at the time I did, you didn't have like product management training. Um, so I think it's more like, core product manager like traits yeah you know um that that you're looking for and you know for me this is sort of startups in general you know as you've given in my background like so much of my experience is with startups so a little bit of this is like is that i'm looking for this for anybody to come work at a startup and or product management because i think there's a a lot of crossover abilities there but definitely people who are comfortable building. Um, I think that was a lot of, you know, why we were willing to make a bet on you. And and we did make a bet on you. And, and you know, a lot of times you are, especially entry-level people, you're kind of making a bet on what you see in them, right? Um, so definitely people that are, you know, ready to take on big tasks and can show that, I you know, I don't care if you were working at a restaurant or working at a newspaper or whatever you were doing before, but being able to exhibit that you can get things to done, I think is huge. And that you've taken on tasks that are sort of about building and you were able to to build and get that thing to done, I think is an amazing thing. Um, people that are open to like testing and trying and, and doing things that are outside of their comfort zone, um, kind of willing to go there. For sure. Um, and then, you know, specific to, to product management, you know, people that are excited to participate in like road mapping and the big strategic activities, but 
really heavy and and capable as it pertains to delivery. Um, I think is and and excited to deliver. You know, they're not coming in and just want to be part of road mapping and deciding what we're going to do. They're excited about going and doing right. Probably some of the key things. Yeah, you're you're corroborating something that I always tell people. The advice that I give when people ask, like, "Hey, how do I get into product management?" The advice I usually give is make some stuff, build a product, <laughs> do something on your own, get involved in shipping. Like those are the things that are hard to teach. The experience is what really helps you. And it gives some indication that you like, you care, which is sounds like what you're also checking for in interviews as somebody that's hiring product teams. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like that's, that's the, some of the key indicators, especially early on. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. So from your perspective, what makes a product manager great? You talked about the entry level stuff, but like fully grown out of the onesie. <laughs> I don't know. Going to college. Bouncing on my knee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we're talking about the, the beginning. What about like fully formed uh, adult product managers? Like what, what makes them great? Yeah. You have to be a curious person. And like curious is also so like big and broad and vague, but not just about like, oh, I wonder about that thing, but I'm going to go and I'm going to dive into this thing. And I'm going to like, this therapist said this thing about my oldest kiddo that he tunnels. Mm -hmm. So when he latches onto something that he's really interested in, his brain wants to go tunnel and go like really deep on that thing. And I think, you know, I, my kid's ADHD. Maybe all of us product managers are just ADHD. I think we are a little bit, just a little. <laughs> Possibly. But, you know, curiosity, not just about that thing, but like curiosity to go and really like learn about it and understand it and talk with people about it and, and research it and look at it from different angles and things like that. So curiosity and a little more specificity on that. Um you know, this is a, a little bit of, you know, product management and being at a startup, but you know, comfort with ambiguity. So someone's going to toss you something that maybe you haven't been curious about in the past, or you haven't gone and tunneled on it. Um, and you maybe you may not know a lot about it and you need to be like, all right, I don't know a lot about this, but let's go figure it out. Right. And comfort with, you know, knowing that you just have to take those first couple steps and go start figuring it out. Right. Um, I think nested in that, I think, is optimism. You know, I, I, I don't think you have to have a grin on your face all the time, but I think, you know, optimism that I can go figure this out. And, you know, I'm going to hit roadblocks and I know that I'm going to find ways around them. Right. Um, excited to go kind of take on those problems, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to put it in every job description until I die, but like a self-starter, yeah. like, especially product management at startups, like, you know, no one can hold your hand through all of that. Um, but also like really comfortable saying like, I don't know this, or I don't know the answer to that. Um, or saying that, you know, I need help. I need guidance. I mean, these are just like traits of people I want on my team, period. Master communicators, master communicators. <laughs> like 
what's going on that I need to communicate about? Who do I need to communicate it to? What's my channel that I need to communicate it through? What's the tone? How much detail? Like just master communicators. And then honestly, just really organized people. You have to be organized. And not only do you have to keep yourself organized, but you have to keep a bunch of other people organized or else that thing's not going to get done. Yeah. A few yeah. things come to mind. Like, like a lot of folks try to separate um, or try to cleanly separate project management and product management. And, and there is a pretty fair separation there, but there's also a lot of overlap. Like if you're trying to get teams to work together, you're going to do some level of project management. You can't get out of it. Um, no. And it's important. Like if the team is completely disorganized, then things aren't going to get done. And your job is to execute on what needs to be done. Why? And an execution is super important. So you do have to, yeah. you have to do some of it. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think sometimes the toughest thing is a product manager has dependencies on so many other people uh, for something to get done. If you're not doing what you need to do to keep those people involved, engaged, my team this week, I'm like, hey, we're rolling a couple things out in two weeks. We're rolling this big, massive thing out in about a month. I'm like, we need to be getting together to talk about, okay, who all do we need involved in this thing for testing? Have you blocked out their calendars? Mm-hmm. You know, what are, what are we going to do for rollout of this thing? Have you asked that person to kick off that content so you can review it? Like it's, you know, you need to be looking two, three, four, five steps ahead on a regular basis and communicating with those people, telling them what you need from them or telling them what you're going to provide to them. And so you have to be really planful and really organized. Yeah, hundred percent. It, uh, the, the stuff that we were talking about, you were talking about earlier about comfort and ambiguity, optimism, being a self self starter, curiosity. It reminds me of the first project you had me do. You remember that? (laughs) (laughs) If anybody listening to this has ever gone through some two compliance. It was, oh my yeah. gosh! SOC two PCI, just, they're the same thing, right? Or are yeah, they not the same? Somebody, they are similar. Yeah. Okay. Somebody, like, if you've been through it, send a Jay a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Virtual a drink. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was a yeah for 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 those listening that don't know what this is. When you're running an e-commerce product with payments components, you have to do some sort of compliance, whether it's PCI compliance or SOC 2 compliance to make sure that those, those, uh, components are, are up to code and, and protect people's, you know, sensitive data. Yeah. Data's, yeah. Data's being passed around in a very safe manner. Yeah. And I, the first thing that Lisa, you asked me to do was to make sure that our mobile shopping point of sale was PCI compliant and working with a company to make sure that it was PCI compliant. And um, in typical associate product manager fashion, I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Whatever we got to do. <laughs> and, um, but I didn't know what it was. So when you asked me to do it, I was like, oh shit. Okay. I got to figure out what this is. So then the curiosity yeah. kicked in. The comfort with ambiguity was kind of immediate. It was like, okay, I don't know what this is, but I feel pretty good. I can figure it out. And you just kind of barrel in there. 
with optimism. I think when you and I talked yeah. about it, maybe I thought, ah, it'll be done in like six weeks. And it took the better part of six, six months. months. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a beast. And for yeah. an associate product manager to take that on, that's a beast of an initiative is one of your first big things to take on. Like that's not associate level work. Uh, it was fun. It was, it was, well, it was type two fun where it's fun now <laughs> looking back on it. <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> I think I was just at that time, I was also happy to have a product management job. So I was like, cool. Yeah. Let's yeah, let's find out what this is about. And um, well, we were building yeah. something cool. We had cool clients, cool brands yeah. that were using it. We had REI and Urban Outfitters. And yeah, it was cool. And at that time, it was like cutting edge. Mobile point of sale yeah. was not something that was really happening back then. So no, yeah, us doing it at that time was really new. So it was it was really fun being part of it. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I still remember that project. Anytime somebody comes and asks me about PCI compliance, I'm just like, red flag. <laughs> you start itching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spin up a program, <laughs> batten down the hatches. Oh. The, uh, the, the unfettered optimism is gone. Baby AJ is gone. <laughs> um, but it is, yeah, it is. I mean, it, in a lot of ways, uh, it's still good to have that as you're moving up or you're you're getting further along your career that that level of optimism peppered with some some um realistic <laughs> expectations here and there is still yeah. going to serve you a little better. little mini doses of reality with it yeah <laughs> yeah so um all right flip side of that what are some of the things that pms do that drive you crazy and that they should avoid doing yeah. For the audience, I'm never been diagnosed, but quite sure I'm slightly OCD, which makes me an amazing product manager. Yeah, it's, like <laughs> I can get stuff done. Like ask anybody I've worked with in Austin. They may tell you all sorts of things, but the one thing they'll say is she can get stuff done. Um, but so I think, you know, for me, it's like the things that I, I know work and and make me effective and whenever i see my team not just doing like basic like smart things it kind of drives me crazy so like pms that i can tell aren't really listening whenever we're having conversations with the business about needs and requirements and especially when we're getting like really specific about requirements and i can tell the pm isn't really listening or if i can tell that they're not taking really good notes like get good at listening and writing. This is me fake typing. Like get really good at it. Use a notebook. I don't know how, however you want to get a stenographer. I don't know, but get good at taking really good notes because those notes basically are going to save you so much time later. One, what did they say? Like you're going to have the notes in front of you. And then if you take really good notes, it's a shortcut to your requirements. And so it's actually going to save you time down the road or even better, take notes for your friend, your product manager friend, and pass those notes to them and or just have each other's backs in meetings. If you really need to be like in the conversation, have your buddy take notes for you. Um, but anyway, it drives me crazy when, thing, when good notes aren't getting taken back. 
<clears throat> and a big thing whenever like we're tackling something really meaty, trying to really get to the heart of something, maybe it's something that we've really been wrestling with, like how we're going to do this thing out of the gate. And we think we've gotten it, although we've tried like three or four different versions of a solution. And then the product manager moves on and they don't repeat back what they think they heard or don't repeat back what we all just decided. Drives you crazy. Like validate in the moment and get that validation, get like verbal sign off from everybody. And it's so great. Like a third of the time, someone will be like, you got that mostly right, but here's the nuance that you missed. And you're like, thank goodness mm -hmm. I got that before we moved on, right? It's a really great senior principal move what you're bringing up. And it, it's actually yeah. like uh, shocking how re one, reconfirming what you think you heard to making sure that you call out decisions that were made and writing them down yeah. or action items that everybody agreed on and following up on those in the next meeting uh, can really, really just ensure that there's simple things that just really help ensure things stay on the right track are interpreted right so that you end up doing the right things about them. Yeah. Simple. Poor follow-up is another biggie for me. Yeah. Like, poor, like write it all down and then you have your follow-up. Also, you don't have to go write a follow-up. You just wrote it in the meeting, right? Yeah. Poor follow-up can kill progress. Definitely. I, I also liked what you said about teamwork when it comes to like helping out another PM um, yeah. or helping each other. This is something that actually we, uh, that I've started doing recently, uh, which is having a co-host for meetings um, or no, just like a note taker. Um, yeah. Somebody that's just responsible for taking notes. And usually it's another PM. Uh, recently we've started having co-hosts for meetings. So if I'm the host of a meeting, I also have a co-host and that person yeah. is helping take notes, think, get things executed, following up on action items. That way it's not just one person responsible for all of it. Teamwork, that's such a great concept for everybody yeah. to kind of keep in mind that you're, you yeah. don't have to do it all by yourself. Yeah. You know, um, it's your job to get everybody involved. And, and if, if you can't have someone do it, even if you're all in the same room together, put yourself on Zoom and record it or whatever conferencing you're using, but just record it. At least that way you can go back and get good notes out of it as a follow-up, right? It can and really man, save you. It can save yeah. you. Yeah, and be sure you kick off the meeting and tell everybody what you want to accomplish in that meeting. Like, yeah. hey, everybody, we need to get to a decision on X. I really hope we can do that today. And when you get to that decision, then repeat it back to everybody what the decision was. And then follow up after the meeting. Yeah, good follow up. What I like about what we're talking about is that these are these are simple things that can really get you to these more senior levels or help you succeed yeah. at that junior level that are simple. They're very straightforward. And it's almost shocking yeah. how many people don't do them. <laughs> uh, and, in many roles. Yeah in many roles at all levels. Yeah. Uh, at all levels. So if you can do them, um, they really, they really make a big, big difference. So including these skills around <laughs> being meticulous note taker, 
repeating back what you thought you heard, action items, teamwork when taking notes. See what I'm doing here? I'm restating what I learned. (laughs) For those of you listening, putting it in practice right away. Um, A plus, A plus. (laughs) We did it. Uh, What are the kinds of skills and knowledge, other types of skills and knowledge that you would recommend PMs acquire early on in their careers? I mean, there's the basics, right? The bulk of my career has been either in like B2C e-commerce for a little bit or B2B to C like enterprise software, you know, SaaS mm-hmm. software. So I'm sure the skills that I would recommend might be slightly different than someone that had been, you know, a product manager for like Dell hardware or something like that. Um, but you know, I mean, you're going to have to have a basic understanding of technical languages, infrastructures, how systems work, different ways that they can work together, hosting. Like you're, you're going to need those technical basics. You know, I did not start as an engineer, but I certainly picked it all up as I went along. I was a website manager for back in the day, whenever there were website managers. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of forced to learn all these things through my job and, and it's my foundation, right? You need to find ways to learn those things. We just went through it. I'm not going to, you know, beat the horse to death, but good project management, learn it, get good at it. It'll serve you in whatever, whatever job you want to be in, but especially, um, product management. The other thing is I've predominantly been in early stage businesses. So whatever I'm doing has a very big impact on the business Mm -hmm. as a product manager. So you better understand those basic business metrics. Um, You'll be able to answer questions like, what are the costs in our business? How do I, how do we calculate margin? Margin is your way that you make more and more money, the better and better your margin gets. Know how to talk about margin. Um, You know, what's, Dollar revenue retention, you know, it's, it's basically a way that you just make more and more money over time with the same amount of clients. Um, but no, you're going to need like basic business metrics. So as you're talking about problems or you're talking about value, you can roll that up to the, the benefit to the business, right? Yeah. It's, you bring up something that, that it jogged my memory a little bit, which is that well, this is what I experienced. I don't know what everybody else experiences. I'm sure when you have different backgrounds, it just kind of depends. But when I was I was junior slash mid-level, it was largely about the technologies that I was working with and the design principles. So it was yeah. basically just trying to get these components to fit together in a high-quality way and focusing on trying to learn that. Then when I started getting into like senior principal leadership levels it i started picking up more of like the business fundamentals and the strategy side of it where i was like oh if i want to get to these if i want to be more impactful or get to these more senior roles i need to learn how the business side of things worked and once i figured it out it was like oh i see how this stuff fits together up here now so that i can fit things better down here you also mentioned a concept around tech-heavy versus business-heavy PMs. Yeah. Generally, in product management, there's those, there's those two camps. Let's elaborate on what they are. What I've seen, which I've been in a lot of companies in Austin. <laughs> yeah, um, we <laughs> Yes. Great I bet, Which is great. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change at all. Um, but, you know, for, 
traditionally what I've seen is you have either sort of more technically heavy product teams or you have more um, business centric product teams. And a lot of times it's, it's where the team sits. So, you know, you're going to have a more technically um, centric product team. If it's sitting in engineering, a lot of the times you're generally going to have more business kind of market centric. If it sits underneath marketing or if it stands alone um, is traditionally what I've seen, you know, I think the stage of businesses that I've been at, you know, earlier stage when, like I said, as a product manager, it's almost like you're like a little mini CEO in the business. I mean, you're making decisions that literally will affect the trajectory of the business. I've seen businesses where that product team is more worried about the business. Generally, those businesses have done much better then those earlier stage businesses were products sat more within engineering and, you know, we're in fewer sales meetings. They were in, you know, fewer sessions with clients listening about, you know, what, what's working with the product. What are they really getting value out of? If we were to release these three things, which one would you get most value out of? How much value would you get out of it? You know, those are very like business centered kinds of product managers. Now they still better be able to have a great conversation with an engineer about how that engineer is planning to build something and be able to ask good questions about pros and cons of those different approaches. And they need to understand the answers that they're getting back, but they may not be the product managers that are out building their own prototypes or, you know, running their own SQL queries or something like that to kind of get the data they need to help feed a decision. But they're going to know how to ask for those things and that they need them. Um, And then, you know, more technically centered, you know, whenever I've envisioned, gosh, where is that product manager going to be the most valuable in my head, which I haven't been at a lot of these businesses. I've been more at like category creation. Mm -hmm. We're building something kind of net new that hasn't been in the market. So you really need someone that has sort of, vision and business savvy and but also can go build things and get them done you know if i were envisioning being at a company where we were going after building something like a much better version of something that was already in the market sure those people need to be business savvy as well but they better be really damn good Mm -hmm. at thinking about how we're going to build this technology to be better faster more efficient mind-blowing you know, leveraging new tech that all these legacy systems are not something like that. And I'm sure there's many more examples for where one is kind of more appropriate than the other, but that's just what I've seen. And and why do you think that is? I mean, I think we covered a little bit of it, but why do you think PMs that are more business heavy in the categories that you're working in, e-commerce, you know, more B2B enterprise type 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 products, why do you think they're more successful potentially than, than more tech heavy folks? Well, I mean, those companies are for the most part, like the product is the business mm-hmm. and every one of those decisions, you know, either piles up to make a, a valuable business that someone wants to back or someone wants to acquire or the market wants to invest in um, or it doesn't. Yeah. And, and you also don't, 
at that stage and that kind of a business, you don't have time for like infinite due diligence. You're making a lot of kind of gut calls with not as much data as we all know that we would like to have. So you need to be able to really connect the dots from a cost versus value perspective. And then a little bit of good gut and business sense to make calls because you know, you're making big bets. You have fewer hands, you know, always, you always have fewer hands, but at that stage, you really have fewer hands and you have fewer dollars. Like every dollar just is like so meaningful. Mm-hmm. So I think someone that really has an ability to connect this thing that we can build and really see like the multiple dimensions of value that you can get out of that thing versus these two or three other things, I think it's just going to make for better decision making. That kind of product manager is going to go build relationships with like go create innovation partners out of your mm-hmm. your early stage clients. And, you know, I think both kinds of product managers can be user and customer obsessed, but I think a more business centered one is going to be able to have conversations about value potentially in a a different way to where, you know, you're, you're connecting with those clients, you're helping them feel like they're a partner in building this thing and that they're going to have their DNA on this thing. Um, and really can open up a great channel for feedback that just is invaluable at that stage. I mean, that's it. That's in lieu of doing a lot of research. That's like data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, for us at early stage Bizarre Voice, you know, we, there were two of us for the first two product managers for the first probably three or four years of the business. Wow. And every single quarter, we were having no less than three client conversations that we were just like, Hey, these are all the things that we're thinking of. And they, it got to where they just expected it. They were like, why isn't my conversation on the books? Like Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Like, let's go. Right. Yeah. Um, and that kind of like feedback loop and openness and let's talk about your business and how can my business help your business. And then being able to take all of that and translate it into okay, these are the things that we have to build. These are the things that we have to focus on Um, at that stage of a company. And I mean, I think it's thinking like when I went into Dell, when I'd been at these couple of startups and I went into Dell, they actually hired me because they wanted someone with more startup thinking Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to come in and kind of shake things up a little bit. And I I think I freaked everybody out a lot, like sufficiently. (laughs) freaked them out. But I also got a few things to done that had kind of like lingered because no one could just get them to done. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an important skill set, And, and it's something that either you have to develop or it's like one of your strengths and you just, you just have it. You just kind of have that innate knack to do that. And then you have to develop the other, the other parts of your game. And it's, it's funny when you, when you mention some of the, the, the two main areas where it's a lot of like, business heavy, but also leadership skills and like customer development, customer feedback and feeding that back into your process and getting really good at that. And that being good or, or in sometimes in, in a lot of ways can give you more of a leg up than having a lot of the technical background. There's a couple of things that kind of spark some thoughts there. One is that 
if you're earlier on in your career, picking those types of skills up and applying them can really kind of help accelerate your growth more than um, reading a whole book on Azure and how the, how, how all the cloud stuff works. Um, and to even at a lot of the senior levels, um, those types of skills are always going to put you in a good position. If you're in tune with your customers, you're able to build those relationships, foster good uh, teamwork across teams, that's going to serve you and help you scale significantly, way, significantly more than if you know exactly how iOS works. In, uh, especially I, 100%. I totally agree with you. Yeah, and in, 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 uh, any mentoring relationship that I have, you know, if, if, if someone else sort of initiates it and we're kind of having our first conversation and how I can help most and whatnot, you know, I always say outright, like if you're looking for that mentor that's going to like have a new book for you every time we get together and, you know, I do love podcasts. I won't go into all my favorite podcasts, but, you know, I try that. I try to not have that be like the thing that's on the tip of my tongue. Like the first thing I always say is when you're in a meeting and you see someone that's from your perspective and in your eyes, incredibly effective, try to break down like, what is it about what they're doing that you think makes them so effective? And how do you start to practice that thing for yourself? Up-leveling your skill set by being in tune and admiring other people around you and trying to, to break that down and, and honor them by embracing similar traits and, and, you know, practicing their practice, I think is for me personally, like the, the fastest way to up-level yourself. Yeah. That's the experience I had with you. I actually, one of the things I think I really admired about you when I was er earlier on was like how good you were at telling people no without people feeling <laughs> feeling like you uh, shot them down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And I remember watching that and being like, it's like it's like magic. How did you do that? <laughs> what are what are your yeah, let's I mean let's go on this tangent. What are your keys to saying no to people in a yeah. product capacity? If you've asked why, if you've done a really good job of asking why we should focus on what we should focus on. And you've done a really good job at listening and heard all the reasons why you should focus on those things. You know, if you're pushing back on something else that you think doesn't deserve quite as much focus, you usually have right there all of your background mm -hmm. on why this other thing is, is, is more important. So, I mean, you know, just being being thorough and how you're outlining your, your priorities. But listen, like building relationships with people and, you know, doing all the things that, you know, I like to think build mutual respect. The best way to get people to respect you is for you to respect them hmm. and for them to hear heard. Even whenever you have to come and say, we're not going to work on that. And I hate that, but let me, you know, offering someone why, I think is, you know, you're honoring them and, and letting them know you hear them 
and we're going to get to it, but this is just what we have to focus on for now. And, you know, peppering in a little bit of humor every now and then. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, you know, dude, real. being like fun, funny. I know it can sound a little will, cliche, but ugh, it's like really makes everything. It, it like kind of, uh, it lightens it up. Listen, I know it's just a conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not, and I always tell people it's not a no forever. It's just a no, you know, we just have to focus on this other stuff right now. That's not going away. And we can pick that back up. But just right now, this is what we need to do. 100%. So good. <laughs> All right. I want to pull back out to the, you mentioned the mini CEO thing. And we, we didn't get a chance to talk about the difference between being a PM at a large company versus being a PM at a startup, often the first PM, which is yeah. what you've been doing a lot lately. Yeah. What are some of the key differences between being a PM in both situations? And then yeah. we'll get into the commonalities. You know, differences, I, there's kind of the obvious, right? Like you're, you're working on part of a larger system <laughs> when you're a PM at a bigger company, when you're a PM at a smaller company, um, and, and you're usually working on like, you know, the third, fourth, fifth version of a part of a system at a larger company, whereas at a smaller company, you're usually working on the foundation of the system. Um, you know, you're, you're sometimes working on the entire system at that point. Um, so that's a little bit obvious, but it is what it is. Um, you know, bigger, some of these things are just obvious, but bigger company, it's going to be a more rigorous process that you're usually using, you know, the, I always think the process that a product manager could follow and like the parts that could be part of a product manager's job are vast, (laughs) like, I mean, it, it could be a really huge position and it's kind of the same with product marketing. Like if you, there's a really good visual that I wish we could share out with everybody, but it's this like big, huge grid that kind of goes through like a product development life cycle and kind of shows where product is, is a decision maker and a supporter and product marketing is a decision maker and a supporter and we're engineering decision. And, and it can really, they can really bleed over one another Um, and at a larger company, when you look at that big, huge end to end process, you're going to see more of those steps happening all the time. Whereas at a smaller company, you know, it can be the value of being at a bigger company and then going to a smaller company where, you know, that end to end process, but then you're plucking out the, the pieces of the process that really matter for whatever it is that you're building. Mm. Like you know, maybe we kind of just already know what the hell I'm going to work very hard to not curse on your podcast. You can curse. Um, I don't care. I don't give a shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> We swear on here all the time. Go for it. Well, goddamn. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, in a smaller company, you might say, gosh, you know, uh, we've already really thought through this thing and we already kind of know the the flow of this we're not going to do a ton of discovery we're just going to kind of jump right into either prototyping or and or documenting or whatever the bigger company you may just have to still go through those steps 
Um, so a little more rigorous, but you know what? It's awesome to be at a big company and actually learn those steps mm-hmm. um, is definitely not, not a bad thing. Um, at a bigger company, there's going to be usually like heavier due diligence. There's usually going to be more rigorous testing, at least in my experience. Um, smaller companies, you know, the, the rigor may not be quite as high. You want it to be as high as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bigger companies are going to be less agile. Parts of them can be agile, but it's going to be less agile. Smaller companies, um, you know, things move in and out of the roadmap easier, either based on business need or honestly, like executive override. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's, it's good to kind of get into the, um, the tricks for surviving at a, as a, at a startup as the first PM because uh, like you're describing being a PM at a larger company is a bit more structured. If you go in like as an associate, there's usually like some sort of ramp up program, really and, good training. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're yeah. a PM at a, the first PM at a startup, um, <laughs> there's usually none of that. And, um, oftentimes, you know, uh, yeah, it, it can be a challenge. So, like, how do you survive something like that? Like, how do you get in as a first PM and make it and yeah. be successful? Yeah. Um, Having done, you know, you've done it think, so many times, I think everybody. Else yeah, knows. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think the big kind of keying off of what we were just talking about. You know, whenever you're in a big company, that company has gotten big and been around for a while for a reason. And they've found product market fit. You could do a whole session on product market fit. Um, <laughs> but uh, they've found product market fit and they're, you know, scaling and expanding and, you know, just trying to get better at that point. Right. Um, and whenever you're at a, if you're the first PM at a startup, nine times out of 10, you have not found product market fit yet. So you're going to need to get in there and be hypothesizing and testing really, really, really quickly. Um, And you do have fewer hands. So you have to get good at doing that. So my, do we both use this word? Do you use manumating? No, manumating. What is that? (laughs) Manumating is like, what? (laughs) Did I say it right? Manumating? Yes. Manumating. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Manumating is, is <laughs> manumating is, I mean, it's kind of like vaporware. Okay. But yeah. like, how can you, how can you build something just enough to the point where someone will use it and mm-hmm. be able to use it in the intended way and have the intended experience but in a way that you've invested as absolutely little as you possibly can yeah, to get that fast feedback to understand if this is a thing that we should really go build and not have manumated, have it fully built out. So when I say something is manumated, like we're going to build this new front end capability and it means that someone is going to have to come in twice a week and upload this spreadsheet from this other system 
in here and it's going to change what the user is going to see over here in this part of the UI. And we're going to see how excited they get about that. Or like one company, one of our implementation engineers had to come in every single morning and push a button to make a service run. <laughs> yeah. So it would go and it would refresh the data and refresh the UI and whatever that, you know, those clients came in that day, they, they would see something different and it felt like the system was working, right? Um, but that's how we were testing our hypotheses to see, is this something worthy of, I mean, it's, it's a highly, highly, highly functioning prototype that's in the hands of users, right? Yep. Yeah. I, the term that I've heard used a lot is painted door tests, where oh, it's the same okay. sort of concept where you're creating a door that normally, it, you know, you got a door, you walk through it, but a painted door is where you paint it onto a wall and it's not really there, but you want to see if anybody's going to try to open it. And it's a similar sort of thing. You're talking about something which is yeah. a little bit more where it's like, we built the thing, but it's kind of like slapped together with duct tape. And, ah, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, it works, but you're really just trying to test out the hypothesis, and then if it works, then build it out, invest the time, make it better. You know, make yeah. sure you're spending time on things that are that are actually valuable to your actual customers, not just you or your leadership or what have you. Yeah. And you know, my magic is, and, and I think it's something that I think PMs in general should be good at, but especially early stage is thinking in phases. Here's this ultimate thing that we're envisioning, but how can I backtrack through phases of how we could implement that thing into, you know, versions of value of that to where we build this thing we learn from that. We know the next thing that we think that we want to build and we think that people are asking for in relation to this thing. You know, an example would be like we're building something in phases right now at the company I'm at, Forefound, where you know, we, we manage all these e-commerce items and we fully manage all of them. They come into our warehouse. We handle them. We inspect them. We store them. We sell them. Well, we have clients that want to have returned items, say like in the store warehouse in their own store that they want us to sell for them, but they want to handle them. They want to ship them themselves. So it's a little like uh -uh, <laughs> on how our solution was built, right? It was built for us to do all of this stuff. Mm. So we're building this in phases to where like, Hey, let's first build this to where, they're sure they're holding on to it. They're warehousing it, but we're still shipping it because that's the hardest part of that whole scenario for us to build out. But we've already found like 75% of them still want to use this capability, even if we're still shipping it. Mm. So our phase one is how do we uh -uh, tweak our system to where they can keep the item in their warehouse, they can handle it, they can get it ready for shipment. And then we're going to schedule that shipment and still manage all of that. And then the next phase of it will be them being able to manage all of those things, right? Mm, yeah. But we're getting little baby chunks of value out there, you know, that are yeah. all tied to this sort of bigger chunk of value. Um, and learning as we're going, 
you know, making our customers feel like they're getting continuous value anyway. But yeah, That's phases, great. phases for early stage. You can't, you can't wait six months to roll out value to users and customers of an early stage product. Like it has to come out more often than that. You're a hundred percent right. And this is another thing that's really easy for people to lose sight of. Even like super senior people that I've worked with, they're always like, oh, let's go design the 100% perfect solution. And that's the only way we can move forward with this project. No, not true for startups. Definitely not true for consumer. I I think consumer is another area where a lot of this stuff applies to. I agree. Um, you need to ship to customers <laughs> and cause that's the only way you're going to find out if you're really doing something worthwhile for them, as you said, as you, as you put so well. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I think part of that with being early stage is you have to be comfortable and ready for little pivots. So we put that thing out and oh, yeah, we shit mm-hmm. the bed. Like <laughs> I don't <laughs> like it. Or we, we tried to do it and it was really expensive. It was more expensive for us to do it. And it's just not going to be viable for our bottom line. Maybe it wasn't that maybe they loved it, Mm -hmm. but the cost of us doing it was so expensive that we, we can't, we can't continue doing it that way. We need to go back to the drawing table, uh, drawing board, drawing board. (laughs) <laughs> drawing board, the drawing table it's a new thing it's, it's a sure. new saying yeah Jay. <laughs> that's true that's it's, that's halfway said. that's halfway into the lalo oh i'm already done <laughs> we're gonna just start let's just start making shit up sounds good drawing <laughs> drawing satchel to the drawing table please <laughs> oh my God. Oh, man. I think the only uh, other thing I would say is is on yeah. being an early stage PM and I already talked about it earlier, so I'm not gonna go off on it, but like Let's do it. befriend your early stage customers and clients. Like they are your innovation partners. I mean, this is especially for B2B. I'm you know, I'm sure B2C also, like you know, you can have like your user consortium or something like that that you can build. Yeah. Um, but just make that a habit from the minute that you walk in the door. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a concept that's, that's applicable in many situations outside of B2B too, like in marketplaces, when you have your initial suppliers that are signing up with you for the first time, those are great people to keep, keep around, kind of keep a pulse of, of what's going on. And they're willing to talk to you. They're like, like you said, they're your part, they're, the early partner that jumped in on something that was unproven and uh, was there for you every step of the way. So yeah. So yeah. A, I mean, they're usually, they're usually buying from you. You know, you, you think about um, cro- crossing the chasm, but, <laughs> but you think about, you know, you know, you think, you still think good. about the adoption. Still, yeah, still, still good. good. Still a still good, works. I mean, listen, it still works. Like we're all still thinking about that with every business that we're at, but you know, there's always the, the early innovators that it's people that hear what you're doing. And those are the people that raise their hand and say, Oh, 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 I've been waiting for someone to come along and have this thing. 
Um, and they're going to be the ones who sort of self-select in with you. And it's usually people that share your passion about whatever that business is trying to do. So they're, you know, they're personally invested in this thing. So yeah. capitalize on that. Yeah. hundred percent. That's wonderful advice. Okay. So I'm going to make you force, uh, I'm going to force you to pick one product management or marketing. Which one is your favorite? And the answer can't be marketing. I do. Well, I always have thought maybe I love product more. Oh no, it's recorded now. <laughs> oh no. Okay. I've All been right. doing marketing more in the past like decade though. So I've been doing more marketing. I mean, they're, they're similar, but, but different. Right. And I just, yeah, it's weird. I just, it, one of our primary investors just asked me this conversation when we went to coffee the other day. Oh, okay. Like wow. if, if I had to choose, I don't look at you, you and the investors <laughs> asking the same questions, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what I told him, you know, there's like a comfort, especially like the, you know, refer back to the OCD niche, OCD ishness of me, mm -hmm. like product really scratches that itch, mm -hmm. you know, and that, Ooh, you get to like launch stuff and release stuff and like you get to build that thing and you get to see it and you get to see people using it and it like like the cycle is complete. product it's like yeah and the new cycle starts and then that completes and you just keep going it yeah. does it does and like if you're doing things well and you have really good partnership with your engineering and your you know development counterparts and you have a good process like it feels good to like run that process and like everybody's like together like getting all that stuff done um so that part of it i, I love about product and like the building is so additive mm -hmm. you know it's not very often that you're like ah, fuck, let's just tear this product apart and go build another one. Where with like, you know, marketing, it's like, well, that campaign sucked. Let's go do a totally different campaign, you know, or, or this positioning isn't work, working. Let's go tear it down and like rethink our positioning on this thing. You know, you just don't do that often with product. It's this thing that's like continuously building and growing and like coming to life, right? So I love love, love that part of product. And the other thing is, is, you know, marketing has so many dependencies. Whereas, I mean, I know product does too, like the engineering team has to like build the stuff right. And it has to get it done, but they're going to, mm -hmm. you're going to choose a good company and they're, you're going to have a good team that's going to get that done. Yeah. But marketing, it's like, you know, we could go do like an amazing shop talk, right? Like big, huge conference. We put so much effort into it, so much money. Our booth looks great. The pitch is great. You got a speaking session. We, you know, make our CEO look great up there. And then you come home and the sales team, like, you know, totally like shits the bed on follow up. We could get like nothing out of that event. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. absolutely nothing out of that event. And so, you know, marketing's just, it's a little bit more of like, you kind of feel like you're like pulling, you know, a bunch of people like up a hill sometimes. 
Um, so they're just, it's different. It's very different. Got it. Yeah, it definitely seems like it is. Um, but, in, but some similarities, like it does seem like you're selling stuff, like in a product role, you're selling ideas or the, the insights about a business or what users are saying to your team. In a marketing type role, you're selling the company or the brand or the products that you're trying to sell. So yeah. Does, yeah. what are some of the commonalities between the two roles? Because I think that'll help if people are listening yeah. in marketing, they're trying to get into product, like they're probably yeah. struggling with like, how, how do, do I, I, like, how do I make that? How do I bridge those two things and then walk across yeah. that? You know, I mean, in both of them product, it's usually like, you're like the arbiter of change. And you're actually like going and creating change. We didn't talk about like the ability to, to sort of, you know, usher in change management yeah, as a product management skill, but you know, definitely a skill that will help you get ahead is if you're, you're good at, at um, working people through change management in marketing, you're trying to paint a picture of what that change is going to look like. Um, for a brand, if they come and work with you. So one is sort of like delivering the change and the other is like painting the picture of the change. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, um, a method that I love. There's a, a book called building a story brand and okay. they, it, yeah, it's really good. I mean, it, there's like podcasts on it that you could go listen to for 30 minutes and get the gist of the whole thing, but they use basically star Wars and you know, there's, Luke over here, um, who is the central character and Luke has all these struggles, but he's trying to achieve and like envision himself as a Jedi and he can just get past all of these struggles. And who is it that helps him achieve that? It's Obi-Wan. And how do you make you and your brand Obi-Wan? You are not Luke. You are not the one who's going to go do all this. You are Obi-Wan that's going to help them go achieve these things. Mm, mm, um, okay. And so, like yeah. So, you know, marketing is, is really trying to paint those pictures and really has to understand what it is that that product is trying to achieve and what they, that change that they are going to get, go drive. And how does marketing understand that? so intimately that they paint this really amazing picture that works really well in the sales cycle. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's definitely, you know, those two things that you have in common. I think, you know, underneath that both have to have a very clear understanding of what the business needs yeah. and what are, I mean, both need to be massively customer and market obsessed both and understand the pains of those customers, understand what their day looks like, understand how for very different reasons, you know, product needs to understand who's going to use this and how are different users going to use it and what's the different value they're going to get out of it. And same on the marketing side, we need to understand that. So one, we can articulate that and just how we talk about the product, mm -hmm. but also how we go sell it which of those people is going to be the decision maker here? Which of those people has budget? But who else do we need to bring in that's going to get value out of this thing that's going to tell the person with the budget, you got to buy this thing? Mm 
Yeah. Um, so lots of lots of crossover and similarities. And both yeah. are both are builders and creators. Marketers are massive creators. Yeah. It's really true that there's there is that core commonality of customer obsession being in the mind of the customer, representing that customer in these different sort of functions. So if you're really good at marketing, you're going to have that type of skill down pretty pat. Um, that empathy. Is, empathy, empathy, yeah. empathy, empathy, empathy. That is like immediately transferable is into a product role if that's something that you want to do. And so, you know, if you're in marketing, probably shouldn't sell yourself short because you probably have a lot to offer. Um, oh, yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, both are very data-driven. You know, yeah. both need to be master communicators. Like product managers that will thrive and climb the ladder are exceptional communicators. And same with marketers. 100%. That's, that's, uh, that's great. So, so, okay, let's help someone walk across that bridge. You want to move into product management. You're in marketing. You manage both sides of the floor pound business right now. So if you somebody came to you and said, hey, I want to make this transition, how would you tell them to do it? You know, the closest and- role in marketing to product, and whenever I talked about the, the expansive job description for product, if this is the, okay, if I'm for people listening, my hands are wide. <laughs> it's a big, broad product description for marketing, and I'm having it go across like half the screen. If you look at the product description for product marketing, it's just as expansive, and it like overlaps like 40 30, 40% with product Mm -hmm. to the point where if we go back to the conversation earlier about what it looks like to be a PM product manager at an early stage business, you are not going to have product marketing. You'll be very lucky if you have someone dedicated on the marketing team to product marketing or even crazier would be there's a product marketing team. So as a product manager, you likely will be doing your own product marketing. Mm Mm-hmm. Or there will be someone on the marketing team that does not have product marketing experience that's going to be trying to figure it out. Um, But if you're wanting to kind of like dip your toe in some of the work, you know, that is more product management centric, try to start taking on those product marketing tasks and those product marketing initiatives that are going to mean you need to get super deep into the product and understanding the product. And you're going to need to be pulling together message houses on the product. You're going to need to be pulling together value pillars. You're going to need to be pulling together the proof points of those value pillars. Um, You're going to be digging into like, how do we price this thing? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do we package this thing from like a contract perspective? And yeah. all of those things, one, if you did that at a company and then tried to get a job as a product manager at a smaller company, you'd already have like a third of the job description that yep. you had done, right? Yeah. Um, oftentimes, you're going to be working on with the product team an articulation of product roadmap that can be shared publicly. So product may be articulating, but you're going to help put it in something that's 
publicly shareable. So you're immediately going to be digging into understanding what your roadmap is and working with the product team on speaking points about Mm. why that vision and why those priorities. Um, So there's lots of those sort of marketing owned initiatives that you can work on that are very product centric. And that means you're going to start building relationships with the product team in, in talking through those things. It's a great opportunity to ask, well, how did y'all get to that decision Yeah. on this? Like you're naturally going to be learning really great things about just the product process and the job. Um, so that's probably where I would start. That's really smart. It's it's goes back to what we were talking about earlier about like, hey, one of the best ways to get into product management is just doing the job or is getting as close to doing the job as you can. So what you're describing is kind of like a, it's like a really clever sort of way of getting into that overlap by doing more of that sort of product marketing type role. And it's it's also interesting because oftentimes the product managers involved are like so swamped that they might just ask you to like do parts of it. <laughs> like I know oh. if I had somebody that was like interested and was in tune like that, I would be like, well, why don't you just do this and go for it? And you're helping, we're helping each other. Yeah. Which is pretty common. percent. Right? Yeah. And product marketers make the most money in marketing. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. We have the exclusive. Um, all right. I mean, you could go look it up on Indeed or something like that, but yeah. No, 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 no. You're gonna come to Product Happy Hour, okay? Like, let's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, only, only here on Product Happy Hour with Ajay and Lisa. Any parting advice for people early in product management, trying to figure it out, people in marketing, going to part, just general advice, general anything. You know, ask for what you want. I, I think that people are getting better at that, but ask for what you want. Like I'm thinking about product managers. There was a woman, I'm not going to name names because that's probably not cool to do that. But there was a woman that was in um, uh, client success at Bizarre Voice that really wanted to become a product manager. And she's now, like if I said her name, probably have the people in Austin that are... If, on this podcast would be like, oh yeah, I know her. Like she's made a real name for herself. Like asked for what she wanted, did a great job in the job that she was in and the company supported her. Um, And making that transition over basically gave her like bits and pieces of product work to take on. Um, Because getting into product isn't straightforward. You know, we, we didn't sort of get into how crazy it was just to get into this role in the first place. Like yeah. short version is I just well, did a bunch it. of w- weird stuff with technology that wasn't meant to do what I was making it do, yeah. but I created value for the business, like twisting technology to do things I wanted it to do from a marketing and, and e-commerce perspective. And ended up being invited to become a product manager for that new part of the business Mm. because I had this unique viewpoint on requirements and how we want to do this thing. And so they said, here, 
go learn how to be a product manager. <laughs> they could either take my brain with the requirements and give me a book on how to write requirements and say, now you're a product manager. Yeah. Or they could go hire a product manager that hadn't been doing this crazy stuff and didn't know why I'd been doing this crazy stuff for a year that I'd been doing it. And they'd have to go learn all that stuff. Um, and I just was passionate about what I was trying to do. I was curious. I was making stuff happen. I was trying new things. Don't be afraid to try to be a product manager. And tell people yeah. that if, if that's what you're interested in doing, you know, maybe at the company that you're at isn't the right company. But uh, the number of coffees that I've had with people that are trying to figure out how to get into it, we talk about their skill sets and which of those translate and how do they kind of blow those up a little bit more. Don't be deterred. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, Lisa, we really appreciate you taking the time with us for yeah. our listeners and sharing all of your wonderful insights and experience. And, and thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Love being here with you, my friend. Yeah, same. It's good to see you. Yeah. yeah and you uh, talk soon. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. All right. And that's a wrap. Lisa is the best. I'm so happy that y'all got to know her and learn from her as I did. Let us know if you enjoyed this interview in the comments at our website for the episode and if there are any guests you'd love to hear from on the show. Thank you, as always, for joining us for Product Happy Hour. If you enjoyed Happy Hour today, please support us by subscribing at our website, ProductHappyHour.com, and consider a paid subscription. There are two options, $5 a month and $30 a year for a Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year. You can help us keep this party going. Thank you in advance for your support. You can also support the show by following the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also rate the show five stars on your platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok for clips at Product Happy HR. And please share with your friends and spread the word. The more people at the bar, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.